Our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from three different passages, from Matthew 28, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and Romans 6. So I'm going to encourage you just to follow along with me there. You'll find it printed uh, in your bulletin. Earlier this year, before the actual uh, March Madness had started, uh, the University of Virginia was playing Louisville, and they were losing to Louisville by four points, okay? They're losing by four points. Uh, Louisville had this game won. There are less than six seconds left. The game should have been over. You would have been completely justified to, to turn off the TV and walk out and, and go about your business for the day. Virginia brings the ball down the court. They get fouled while attempting a three-point shot. They miss the shot. So now there's .9 seconds left. The guy's at the free throw line. He's down by four and has three free throws. There's no way they're going to win this game. You could walk away. It sounds like it's over. He makes the first two free throws. He misses the third. And Louisville gets the rebound. So it should be over, right? They've got the ball. The game is over. But actually, the refs blow the whistle because Virginia committed a lane violation. But it's still, so they stopped play, but it's still Louisville's ball. They still should win this game. It should be over. So now they're taking the ball out of bounds under their own basket with less than a second left. And the ref hands the guy the ball, and in this situation, in some situations in basketball, I have to talk about rules for a minute. In some situations, you can run up and down the sideline with the ball when you're bringing in. In this situation, you can't. The guy forgot this, and he travels with the ball. And so now, Virginia has the ball with, whatever, 0.5 seconds left. They throw the ball in bounds. It should have been over. They hit a three-pointer and win the game. So Louisville blows a four-point lead with 0.9 seconds left, uh, which tells you don't quit watching the game. Um, but what, what, I, what I, I bring this up to say, you could have left at any point along the way and missed the ending, and the ending changed everything, right? The ending changed everything. Uh, I was listening to a, a Mike Rowe podcast. Somebody put me on to his podcast. They're actually really good. And he was telling the story of an American Revolutionary War hero. Uh, this guy led the charge uh, at one of the battles that was a turning point in the American Revolutionary War. There's a statue on the battlefield there. It was placed 100 years later. And there's a plaque on the statue that says this, in memory of the most brilliant soldier in the Continental Army, who was desperately wounded on this spot, winning for his country the most decisive battle of the American Revolutionary War. Pretty important guy, right? Uh, the statue there, there's, there's no head, there's no legs, there's, there's actually no body, there's no statue of him. They, they don't even have his horse there. Uh, and actually, there, there's just a statue of a cannon pointing toward heaven with some boots laying over it. And the guy's name is not on the statue, which is like, that's kind of weird. Like he won the most important battle of the Revolutionary War. It's weird until you hear the end of the story. The guy's name was Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold won the most important battle of the war, but now we know him because he later became the most famous traitor in American history. The ending of the story changes everything. Uh, Holy Week, this is the week that Christians remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if the story ended with that, you really wouldn't have the Christian faith, would you? 
Um, it's what happened on Easter. It's the ending of the story that changes everything. Uh, I have a friend, who few, uh, a pastor, who a few years ago left a more theologically liberal church to plant a more conservative one in the same town. And some of the membership left with him, uh, and they would occasionally run into some of the folks who had stayed at the old church. And some of the people from the old church would make fun of them. And they would say, you don't actually believe in a literal resurrection, do you? I mean, come on, that's crazy talk. Nobody, you, surely you can't believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead. And the, you know, the snarky part of me wants to like show up at that church sometime and say, surely you should be playing golf on Easter morning, right? Because what in the world are you celebrating if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. Paul says in the, in the passage that we're about to, to read that if Jesus wasn't raised, we're still dead in our sins and we're to be the most pitied of all men. But Jesus' death didn't have the last word. He rose from the dead and that ending changed everything. It changed everything. And so what I want to do this morning, I don't want to try to defend the, the historicity of the resurrection. I know we do that uh, often on, on Easter. But what I want to do this morning is talk about why the resurrection matters. Why it matters. And why it changes everything. And more specifically, how it can change everything for you. So that's what we're going to think about. Uh, we're going to read from God's word here. Please follow along with me, starting in Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then from 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then from Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, bringing us here together this morning. Thank you for uh, giving us your word that we can read and hear and understand. I pray, uh, Father, that you might speak uh, through these words I'm about to speak, that you would speak over and above them, and even work against them if you need to. But Father, uh, work in our hearts this morning to help us see the glory uh, of the risen Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. So we're going to talk about uh, three reasons the resurrection matters. Three reasons the resurrection matters. The first reason the resurrection matters is that for the believer in Jesus Christ, the resurrection means that our sins have been forgiven. That our sins have been forgiven. I was reading an interview this week with uh, singer-songwriter John Prine, who was uh, asked, what lyric of yours, and everything you've written, what lyric of yours are you most proud of? And he pointed to a, a song called Sam Stone, and the lyric was this, there's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose. And he said what he was trying to say was that a lot of our soldiers went to the Vietnam War, killing people, not knowing really why they were there. They came back home. Uh, Many of them got hooked on drugs and, and never got off. And he said, I was trying to think of something as hopeless as that. And my mind went to Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose. That's pretty hopeless. That's pretty hopeless if Jesus Christ died for nothing. Y'all, the the Christian message, the message that, that we proclaim as a church is that you and I are sinful, broken, fallen people. That we can't do enough. That we can't earn enough to get back into God's good graces. Because... God is a holy God, and and we are not, and our sin must be punished. But the message of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ has come to bear that punishment for us, to take uh, our sins upon himself on the cross, to bear them for us so that we don't have to bear them. And then the gospel we proclaim then is repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ and rest in him as the sufficient satisfaction for your sin. Trust that he has born your sin for you trust that as he was hanging on the cross he was hanging there for you and that if you believe in him and trust in him you will be forgiven and there will be no condemnation for you that you will no longer be under the wrath of God that eternal life is yours and that is true not because of how you lived or have failed to live but it's true simply because of how Jesus Christ lived on your behalf and so that's the message, that's the gospel message that when the church is, when we're doing our job, that's the message that we proclaim to the world. 
But Paul says here in 1 Corinthians verse 17, chapter 15, verse 17, if Jesus wasn't raised, right, that, all that crucifixion stuff is great, but if Jesus wasn't raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Or to use John Prine's words, if Jesus wasn't raised, then he actually died for nothing. If Jesus wasn't raised, then he actually died for nothing. Because if he wasn't raised, then his death didn't accomplish anything. Uh, several years ago, when we first moved to Spartanburg, the Spartanburg High School boys basketball team was playing in the state championship. And they were, they were behind. There's, just, there's virtually no time on the clock. Uh, the other team is shooting free. I know I got it's, it's March Madness. Uh, the, the, the other team is, is shooting free throws. They missed the free throw. Uh, Zachorian Robinson gets the rebound. I think he takes like two dribbles, throws up a three-quarters court shot that goes in the basket and, and wins the game. They're down by one or two. It wins the game. Or it should have won the game. It actually didn't win the game because uh, they didn't have instant replay. And the refs huddled together and talked about it for what seemed like eternity and then waved it off. They like, waved off the most incredible inning to a basketball game ever. They just, they just waved it off and the basket didn't count. Y'all, if, if Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, let's like God the Father walking out and waving off the crucifixion. It didn't count. It, di- it doesn't matter. It didn't count. Nothing was accomplished Your death didn't count. The sacrifice was not acceptable. And there then would be no way for our sins to be forgiven. But then, what's Paul going to say here in verse 19? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's the ending that changes everything. Christ's resurrection shows that divine justice actually has been satisfied and that for the believer in Jesus Christ, your sins have been paid for. Uh, Kevin DeYoung's got a great illustration of this. He says, imagine you're one of of six brothers uh, and five of you decide to get on your bikes and ride to the store and you steal a bunch of fireworks and you, you ride back home and you set them all off in the driveway and your mom and dad are inside watching. And so now the five of you are in a little bit of trouble. But about the time they're about to punish you, the older brother comes walking out of the house and he says, I'll take the punishment for them. Instead of punishing them, I want you to punish me. And they say, okay, we'll go along with this. They're guilty. You're innocent, but but we're going to punish you in their place. And the punishment is that we're going to send you to your room, you know, no phone, no internet, no nothing. You just have to go to your room. And stay there. Now, if you're one of the other brothers, as long as he's in that room, you're not sure you're in the clear yet. Because you're not sure this thing's actually going to work out. Are, am I really going to get credit with mom and dad for what he's done? Is that really going to be the end of it? But when he comes walking out of that room, and mom and dad embrace him and embrace all of you, you know that the, that the debt has been paid. You know that you've been forgiven. If Jesus doesn't come out of the tomb, then we're still in our sins. We're still in our sins. But the fact that he has come out means that he has done enough. He has 
done enough. Divine justice has been satisfied. And if you're trusting in him this morning, that means that he has done enough for your sins to be forgiven. He has done enough for you to be declared righteous. He has done enough for you to be adopted into the family of God the Father. Now, what does that mean practically for us? Uh, If he has been raised, that means the gospel is true, and, and I can offer that to you freely. And I can say to you this morning with confidence, repent, uh, turn from living life like there was no authority but your own, and put your faith in Jesus Christ and embrace what he has done on that cross. Uh, Embrace that as a sufficient payment for your sin, and if you do that, you will be saved. I can say that with confidence to you because of the resurrection. Uh, Secondly, if he's done enough, you don't have to add anything to that. You don't have to add anything to that. Uh, David Letterman was, was being interviewed once, and he was, he was talking about like what he goes through, what he used to go through every night, putting on his show. And he said, every night you're trying to prove yourself worth. It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished... It makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 24 hours. Because I'm not playing a character. I'm trying to give you the best version of myself. And you can just, you can just hear that how he's, he's worried with how people perceive him. You, you can feel the pressure he felt to keep up appearances. The shame that he felt when he knew that he hadn't measured up. The exhaustion that he felt from working so hard to maintain that night after night after night. Can you relate to any of that? What if I believed Jesus had done enough? What if I believed Jesus had done enough? What if I didn't have to prove myself? What if I didn't have to earn likes on social media? What if I didn't have to be the greatest in my field so that maybe finally mom and dad would notice? What if I believed it so much uh, that I was even able to begin to be honest about my sins and my weaknesses and my shortcomings and my fears? What if I no longer feared the rejection and frown of other people? Because I knew I had the acceptance and the smile of the Father. Now, believer in Jesus Christ, because the resurrection is true, Jesus has done enough. And that means you can rest. You can rest. You can be honest. You can try great things and fail at them. You can stop performing. Because Jesus has done enough. And the resurrection proves it. And that changes everything. Second big point here. For the believer in Jesus Christ, the resurrection means that we have already been raised in newness of life. You see this in the Romans 6 passage. Uh, You see this in in our confession of sin. You see it in places like Colossians 3, uh, where, where Paul tells us that there is such a connection between the believer in Jesus Christ that that connection is so real that while it may be accurate to say, and it is accurate to say that Jesus died for us, it's just as accurate to say that we died with him. 
and that we were crucified with him, and that we are risen with him. Uh, something so radical has happened in and through our union with Jesus Christ that we're like new people. That we actually have a new identity. We're no longer under the domination of sin, but we're actually now indwelt by the Spirit and united to Jesus. We no longer have hearts of stone, but now we actually have hearts of flesh. We have been born again. We were spiritually dead, but now we're spiritually alive. And all of that is just different ways the Bible has of making the point that if you are in Christ, you are fundamentally a new person. Uh, Jim Monroe grew up in California. Uh, he was a great baseball player. He turned down an opportunity to play baseball. I think it was with, with Tampa Bay. And he wound up taking a, a scholarship offer with the University of Texas. During his freshman season, he injured his shoulder. During his sophomore season, he injured it again so badly that he couldn't play baseball any longer. Uh, he finished his time at the University of Texas. He graduated, got married, had two kids, uh, and moved up to Colorado. Uh, Jim was somebody that, that grew up in the church, but he says it, it wasn't very real to him. He, he never really was sure if he believed it or not. There was no real faith there. So when he moved to Colorado, though, he met this guy named Tennyson. And Tennyson was a former football player who had also had his career cut short by injury. And they began to kind of bond over that. And it turns out Tennyson was actually a magician, oddly enough. Uh, and, and Jim Monroe was really into magic. And so they started kind of hanging out, talking about magic. And he even began to, to go with Tennyson as he did uh, magical shows, what, magician things, whatever you call that. And so he, he's kind of helping him out. And so Tennyson would, would do the show, though. And it turns out that Tennyson was a believer in Jesus Christ. And so he would do the first half of the show, and then he said, we're going to take a break, uh, and I, when we come back, I'm going to tell you about my faith in Christ. And if you want to hear about that, stick around. If that's not something you want to hear, then this is your chance to take off. Uh, and so Jim Monroe got to hear Tennyson talk about his faith in Christ uh, every night, but he said it still didn't really do anything for him. He does this for about a year and a half. A year and a half later, he gets a phone call one day that they found Tennyson's body in a river at the bottom of a 40-foot cliff. And they, all they can figure is that he fell off that cliff while he was out hiking. And Jim Monroe was, was devastated, understandably. His wife was devastated. He said they were both just really depressed. Their, their marriage got really rocky. They were, they were almost to the point of just, it just threw everything off kilter. And so during this time, if everything's not going bad enough, Jim's knee starts hurting. And so he starts taking Tylenol, whatever, ibuprofen for it. And he does it as long as he can. And then it starts hurting so badly that he winds up going to the ER, and the doctor comes out and says, you know, I hate to tell you this, you actually have leukemia. And your, your bone is just bursting apart. And if you don't do anything, you probably have two months to live. And so they start him on chemo, and they put him on the, the bone marrow registry. And Jim said that in the midst of all this, while his body was falling apart, that he realized that he didn't believe in Christianity at all. Like I, he said, I, I, don't, I thought maybe I did, I didn't really get it, I, but I'm pretty sure I don't believe in this at all now. He said, I, I don't understand how there can be this all-loving, all-powerful God and things like murder and rape and war and evil can exist in this world he's created. Like, I just, I just don't buy that. And there's no reason for what's happening to me. It's just my bad luck. And that's all there is to it. 
But then when he reached his lowest point, he said he got a phone call. And the person on the line told him, there are 8 million people on the bone marrow registry. And we have found one person who is a perfect match for you. One person out of 8 million. And she's actually willing to donate. So on April 20th of that year, she donated. And on April 20th, the the doctors came in and told Jim, on the 23rd, the nurses are going to come in here to celebrate with you your new birth. Uh, But then in order to get him there, they had to put him through a sort of death. They had to had to use this drug to to kill off what was left of his remaining white blood cells before they put the new cells in. This is how the, the, the radio podcast guy described it. He said, they are replacing his immune system with someone else. And in a very real way, they are replacing that part of him that determines who he is with someone who he isn't. And it worked. The cells got into the the bone marrow. They did whatever they're supposed to do in there. They produce uh, new white blood cells, and and he's cancer-free. And the doctor said to him, on April 23rd, you'll be like a baby inside his mother's womb, being born again, because on April 23rd, someone else is going to be living inside of you, and a new system of blood will be your life. I mean, sometimes they just like to give illustrations to preachers. Um, he, 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 he was a new person, y'all. He was a new person. He died and rose to new life through the blood of another. And now he was completely changed and completely well. And this, this is a really interesting story. He wound up coming to faith to Christ, but, but I'll, I'll save that for another day. If, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ then because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the old you is dead. The old you is dead. And you have the life of Christ inside of you. And that changes everything. What does that change? One, it means you have a new source of power. Uh, this, This union for Christ is the power for your living the Christian life, which means you and I have to, means I ought to take prayer a lot more seriously than I do. I may ought to take prayer a lot more seriously than I do. Secondly, again, it means you have a new identity. You're a new person in Christ. Your past doesn't have to define you anymore. The ways you've sinned, the ways you've been sinned against, those don't have to define who you are anymore. Uh, when Emma went to Cuba on spring break, she had to get a new passport because she had had a passport made since she was like eight or nine years old. So she gets this new passport, and she looks like a completely different person. You're like, I don't even know if that's the same person anymore. But she was the same person. If you were in Christ, you would look the same on your passport photo the the day after you became a believer. But the reality would be you are a completely different person. You are not the same person you were outside of Christ. It's that radical. You have been born into a new life. You now know the love and the welcome and the forgiveness of the Father. Your failures have been removed from your record. And you have a new record. But that new record is not blank. It's not just a blank page that you've got to fill in now. Written on that record are the perfect thoughts, words, and deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is yours. And so you don't have to measure up. 
because Jesus has measured up for you. You don't have to be defined by what you do or what you have or what people think of you. Because isn't that how we define ourselves? What I do, what I have, what people think of me. If, if I'm in Christ, because this resurrection is true, I'm a new person. And, and, and I'm defined by that, by my relationship with him. Now, finally, if you're in Christ, even though you will die, your future physical resurrection is certain. Uh, it, it's certain. Christ's empty tomb guarantees that one day your tomb will also be empty. Uh, you remember the end, for the like four of you who watched this, the end of the Batman-Superman movie a couple years ago? All right, at the end of the, the Batman-Superman movie, Superman dies. And I'm sorry if I'm giving that away. It's a terrible movie. I'm just saving you the agony of it. Um, but, but when they bury him, there's like the dirt on the casket starts kind of, I don't know, levitating, bouncing in the air, something Superman-ish. And, and you know at that moment, uh, he's coming back. He's coming back. That sign is a guarantee that Superman's going to come back. Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee that if you're in Christ, you're coming back. You're coming back. Or to use the, the language of the text, Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. Uh, my dad has a big row of huge blueberry bushes at his house, and he gets so many blueberries off of those bushes that he, they freeze them and eat blueberries year-round. And I think half of lower Alabama eats those blueberries every year. But, but the, the first basket that comes in, the first basket that comes in, that's the first fruits. And that's just the beginning, because what's it doing? It's pointing forward to a bigger harvest. It's saying, this is just a start. There is so much more coming after this. Y'all, Christ's resurrection is just the first fruits. It's just the first fruits. It's just the beginning. It's just an indication of what's to come. And what's to come is our physical resurrection. His physical resurrection, physical resurrection is a pointer to our physical resurrection. Now, what does that mean? Three things. Uh, one, God cares about physical things. God cares about physical things. He cares about physical bodies. He cares about the, the physical earth. And so we should care about that stuff too. Secondly, the difficulties of life that you and I face will end. They will come to an end. And they won't just end in oblivion. They're going to end in something better. Their broken minds and broken bodies and broken spirits are going to be made well. And thirdly, it means that death doesn't have the last word. That death doesn't have the last word. You know, for, for some of us, hearing the story of, of Jim Monroe earlier um, was hard. Because you hear that story and you're happy for him that, that God intervened and saved him. But what you want to know is, well, why... Didn't God do that in my life? Why didn't God show up like that for my mother or my father or my nephew or my niece or, or whoever that might be? Why didn't he do a miracle for them? And we don't know the answer to that question, but we do know that God loved us enough in Jesus Christ to actually enter into our suffering. He didn't stay removed from our suffering. And we do know that for those who are in Christ... Because death was not the end of Christ's story. 
death is not the end of our story either. So don't put down the remote and walk away. The game isn't over. For those who die in Christ, their body will rest in the grave. Their spirit is now with the Lord. And one day, just as Christ's body was raised from the dead, their physical body will be raised from the dead and reunited with their spirit. Uh, Believers in Jesus Christ, we are physical beings and we will be physical beings again in the resurrection. We will be healthy, we will be well, we will be whole, and we will inhabit physical bodies in a physical reality for all of eternity. We will rise. The very end of the last battle, the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, C.S. Lewis writes, And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Which every chapter is better than the one before. That song I mentioned at the beginning by John Prine, Johnny Cash actually covered that song. But when Johnny Cash covered that song, he left out the line that said, Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose, because Johnny Cash knew that that wasn't true. That Jesus Christ did die for something. He died for our sins. He died that we might have new life even now. He died that we might have eternal life. And Jesus accomplished what he came to do accomplished what he came to do the resurrection proves it the ending of the story changes everything and in our case the ending of the story is only the beginning of the story let me pray for us father i pray that you would give us eyes to see that this story is not just a story but it's history And that Jesus did rise from the dead, and that does change everything. It means that if we are in Christ, our sins are forgiven. It means if we are in Christ, we have new life. Now, it, it means if we are in Christ, we have physical resurrection, eternal life to look forward to. So, Father, help us to see this and to believe this and to rejoice in this today. We ask it in Christ's name.